1: A podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Well, hello and welcome to Matters of Life and Death. Um, As always, I'm Tim Watt and I'm joined again, as always, by
0: my dad, John Watt. Hi, Dad. Hi, Tim. It's good to be here. And uh, I think we just want to say that although we were talking about strikes last week, podcasters don't go on strike. (laughs) At least, Never. not these. I'm not going to <laughs> withdraw my labour.
1: Not yet. <laughs> I make no promises, don't I? I make no promises oh, about right. what might happen in the future. <laughs> um, are you listening, Premier? Um... <laughs> uh, so we talked last week, we kind of did a, a brief uh, whistle-stop tour of the kind of history of, of, of withholding your labour, particularly in the UK, and how that developed from the early days of the Industrial Revolution through to the kind of convulsions of the 70s and 80s through to the present day where we find ourselves once again Britain kind of gripped by waves of strikes, particularly this time in in public sector professions, you know, we talked a lot about healthcare, but it's also teachers and paramedics and postal workers, train drivers, lots of other people. Um but we wanted to really spend this episode building on that by talking about, frankly, you know, where do we own where do we stand as Christians on this question of public sector workers, kind of public servants, you could argue, uh, withholding their labour, um, walking out in this way. Um I I'll put you on the spot here, Hidad. I-, I presume that you're, you're, as a doctor, your position is broadly no. Uh, particularly Christian medics shouldn't be going on
0: strike. Well, it is, but but it, you know what's interesting is there are quite a lot of Christian doctors who would take an opposite position, and in particular, it often to me seems generational. I, I think most doctors of my generation, and most including most Christian doctors, f- feel a str- that our primary commitment and duty of service and care for patients overrides everything else, and that therefore anything which might interfere or jeopardize uh, the care of, of patients, uh, is unethical. Um, but I, there are quite a lot of, of other people who are making a contrary argument and, you know, and I respect that. And uh, I suppose, you know, thinking myself, if I was a junior doctor uh, at this moment, how would I, and the BMA is calling a strike. Um, and I'm a BMA member. How am I going to, going to respond?
1: Hmm. We had our our first ever, I believe, or first for a long time, junior doctor strike in 2015, actually here in the UK. And that was over a slightly different issue. It was about a new kind of contract, which would um, uh, take away some various rights, junior doctors in terms of the hours they were working and things like that. Um, But as you say, there is an an upcoming ballot at the moment. So this is a very pressing issue for for Christians working in healthcare right now. Um, do, Do you not worry that if, if kind of doctors, so we should make it clear, doctors have the right in UK law to strike. There are only three kind of exempt professions, which are police officers, prison officers and people in the military. I guess we can understand it makes kind of rational sense why those three particular professions sh- shouldn't be allowed to strike. Do you, Are you saying that you really think doctors should be added to that list, that they're so essential that, that they should be legally prohibited or just that individual doctors should refrain
0: yeah, I, I think I would be reluctant to say that you're compelled by the force of law, um, because I think democratic uh, freedom is a very, very precious freedom—the right uh, of conscience um, and so on. So I don't think I would want uh, doctors to be to have a legally mandated, you know, that they that they're prohibited from any kind of industrial action. But I and i do you know want to really recognise the the pain and distress which many junior doctors and other public service workers are under particularly in term feeling that they're uh suffering wage real wage cuts as because of inflation and ri- rise in the cost of living and also often it's about conditions as well that the conditions in which junior doctors work are often very poor with very antisocial shift systems and so on so I, you know i i totally recognise the, the pain and the distress but i think ultimately i would like to put forward a kind of traditional uh, understanding and then and maybe you put forward your own view which i suspect mm. is is probably more in favour of of the labour
1: yeah i think it is i think i share some of your hesitation and concerns about Public sector workers, so probably the same applies for teachers as well, you know, who ultimately the people who are hurt when teachers walk out are children who lose days of education that they'll never get back um, through no fault of their own. Um, and even more so with with kind of vulnerable patients in a hospital. Um so I certainly have concerns about that, and I and I feel the force of your argument that that unlike kind of private sector employees in a factory, you are effectively kind of playing blackmail, um, taking taking your your patients or or pupils hostage. But I I do I do resist the idea that that ultimately that there is there is no grounds in which public sector workers in that fashion should strike, because fundamentally out of a fairly kind of pessimistic view of power, and that is that if if the employer in this case the government knows that then it has no incentive whatsoever to actually address what I would regard, particularly in the NHS, as a crisis. You know, I share the analysis of the BMA and many doctors and nurses that the NHS in this country has been run down, has been allowed to, to fester and to disintegrate, and it's been kept together only on the backs of unconscionable amounts of hard work and by nurses and doctors, and I think fundamentally, the government has shown low interest in addressing this. And if you take away their one lever that, that healthcare workers have, i.e. strikes, I don't really see any prospect of, of that being addressed. And so therefore, you could argue that the way you look after your patients in the long term, paradoxically, is by harming them in the short term by going on strike. Because, and this is the argument I know the nurses make, that they are so frustrated by their... Inability to to properly care for patients because of the conditions that they're worried that patients are coming to harm and are even dying because the the health system is so badly run and, and the only way they can fix that is by forcing the government to at the pain at the point of a strike.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that is the argument which is often made, and I I think you can see the kind of desperation that lies behind it. Mm. Um, I. I would say, though, that that, it is a recognition then of a failure, isn't it? Because, you know, we recognize there are some professions who can't strike, but therefore it's important that their pay and conditions are protected and maintained because they have no other um, means of, uh, apart from walking, you know, from changing occupation. And so um, these other groups, the police and the prison officers and the military, uh, we appear to have been able to maintain reasonably satisfactory uh, payment for them without them going on strike. So there seems to be some failure of the democratic process or of political will Mm -hmm. or whatever to recognize the special position that public workers are in. um, And, so I, I think the drive to the strike represents some some failure. But I think I would want to argue from a Christian point of view that ultimately the way that employment is framed in the New Testament is, you know, particularly it's framed in terms of what Paul says about slaves and masters, isn't he? And he says, slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. This is in Ephesians 6. Uh with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eyes on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. So that what Paul was enjoining in the early church is that they should um take almost a, a a passive role in employment that their that their duty was not to try to revolt um it was to accept this broken institution of slavery uh but to try to ensure that if um that slaves were obedient and hardworking uh, even for masters who were you know tyrants and and so on where there was an injunction on masters also to treat their slaves well I have heard it said that of course at the same time Paul was enjoining a kind of that we were all the same that that slaves and masters are all brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus and that the way that Paul treats the runaway slave and describes him as his deep um as his brother and his child, I think. His, uh, this there's is in clearly Philemon, right? This is Anissimus yes, the, the runaway slave. Onesimus, who, the runaway slave. He's come to Paul and Paul writes back to his owner saying, take him back, but, but treat him kindly yes, as a and, son, as a brother. And you're taking my heart. You know, so the, so clearly the church completely subverted this traditional, uh, incredibly hierarchical employment structure, whilst at the same time, Paul is instructing slaves to um, to obey their masters. And, you know, it's been suggested that uh, Christianity was subverting the slavery system from inside, whilst at the same time enjoining um, obedience and it's it's similar to
1: to Pauline writing about the kind of earthly authorities, you know, the famous bits in Romans about obeying your your kind of earthly governing authorities. Which you know, the, the Christians he's writing to are living under the yoke of Nero and tyrannical Roman emperors who were trying to persecute them. And and at the same time, Paul is 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 urging a kind of quietism. It's often called in ethics a kind of withdrawal. Uh, uh, you know, the opposite of an activism. Um, but at the same time, the seeds of of the gospel were laying the foundations. That's a mixed metaphor, isn't it? For what would actually topple both ultimately slavery and we saw, you know, the empire of Rome. And and I guess there's an argument there that that while the right that the biblical the biblical injunction is not to kind of rise up in revolt and tear it down immediately, ultimately neither slavery nor the kind of cruelties of the atheistic Roman Empire could withstand the the growing power of the kingdom of God,
0: yes, i I think actually, I'm just thinking historically, I don't think quietism is the right word because quietism, actually in Christian history, is a heresy, which is basically says goes to an extreme. It says basically, I don't want to I, I, you don't need to get involved at all in in society and in politics. You simply withdraw into the monastery. And it doesn't matter what terrible things are happening in the rest of the world, and, and and I think the church has always seen quietism as effectively a heresy. We 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 have to be salt and light. We have to be concerned in society, but nonetheless, I think it's a kind of passivity, isn't it? A, mm. a, a an upholding, a, a small c conservative. We uphold the structures of society, and and certainly, I think if if I think of the Christian heritage, I was. Raised in, uh, it was very much as a child. It was very much that that kind of view that that we should be good citizens. We shouldn't uh, disrupt and um, and cause difficulties. And it was often quoting this kind of of uh, Pauline injunction uh, as why that was so. And yet we mentioned it in, in last week's podcast that actually there's an interesting history in the UK of. Um, Christian socialism, which which took a, a very different perspective. That's right, and it's
1: interesting how these two theological themes have ended up coalescing around the opposite ends of the political spectrum. Because I think you have this strong Christian theme of, as you say, you know, uh, passivity, or or, and the, I think you know, in modern day terms, in evangelicalism, you would see that framed in ways of. You know, yet yeah, Christians should vote. We should be engaged, but like fundamentally, our primary calling is spiritual and, and is is about evangelism and discipleship. And and there's a kind of ickiness with getting your hands in the in the muck of something like standing on a picket line or or, or campaigning in, in in the the heat, the sound and fury of partisan party politics. Um, and at the same time, you know, and you know, to write with a huge broad sweep brush, I would say people who take that form of evangelism are disproposed to slightly lean towards the right politically. And I think, but as you say, there's been another strand of thought which lands itself on the left. And you see that throughout the kind of origins of the Labour Party, which, which sees the kind of gospel imperative in the new Testament call to the, of, to justice, to social justice for the, you know, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, and says, actually our, our primary Christian responsibility is, is not just to kind of sit in our, in our churches, maintain our religious freedom and, and read the scriptures and worship but it's actually to get out there and to 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 build the New Jerusalem in more extreme forms to 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 seek to remake society as Jesus would like would like it to be um and that I think you you'd see that follow that thread all the way through and you end up with Christian arguments maybe more akin to the one I was making which says you know it's part of how we love our patients or if you're a teacher part of how you love your pupils, in must include in extreme circumstances that the ability to strike because that is if that is the only way that you can kind of retilt the balance of an unjust oppressive uh social system that you're that they are suffering under
0: yes and and i think that um there there is a, a strong uh, biblical theme that goes right throughout doesn't it of that um that in some way the the kingdom of God uh, the coming kingdom is going to be a place of, of justice, of, of protection of the innocent, of, uh, the restoration, um, and, and the, um, the suppression of evil and of abuse and domination. And therefore that we're called as, as followers of Christ, um, your kingdom come on earth as in heaven so, and therefore to to be involved in, in trying to create structures of of justice and and of course uh, it's not just in, the, in in the UK is it? I mean there are movements across the world where uh, Christians have been in the forefront of of fighting for for justice, for protection of the vulnerable and, and the innocents. Of life and death,
1: a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. I mean, there's a fascinating um, article from the 2015 junior doctors' uh, kind of dispute and strike here in, in the UK. By I think it was published by the Christian Medical Fellowship, um, where they have two junior doctors kind of make the case either side. And I just think, even in summary, they kind of point to those two themes quite well. So 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 one doctor writes in favor of the strike and her kind of headline is we need to stand up for the vulnerable. And then the other the other person writes that says that doctors should not strike. And his core argument is we need to um, suffer without retaliation in the way that Jesus did. And it's about and he's kind of calling doctors to point to Jesus in the way that they um, kind of endure uh the 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 difficulties in the you know similar to the language that paul is talks about about slaves obeying their masters and so you have these two themes which i think both of them are clearly true that there is strong biblical themes about you know shaping our lives even in in under suffering to point to jesus without without retaliating and at the same time the the call to to speak up and stand up for for the vulnerable and 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 the oppressed and it's a fascinating idea about how do these two themes intersect in this very kind of modern and unaddressed question in the New Testament of public sector workers going on strike.
0: Yes, I, I think there is a third theme, and that is the theme of being a peacemaker, of of mm. leading to reconciliation between uh, warring factions. It's a very strong theme, isn't it? Uh, particularly in the New Testament that... Um, the role of Christians and the role of the gospel is, is to lead to reconciliation and to break down barriers. And so it just makes me think, you know, that rather than this rather binary, you know, Christians either come down on the side of this um, suffering and um, being faithful uh, and, and obeying your employers or, this um active fighting uh, for justice and is there a a third position which is why aren't christians at the forefront of trying to find reconciliation of mm. uh, of, of working to get people together in the same room of of pleading with them uh to find to be reconciled of, of, of trying to uh, negotiate and and uh, it seems a pity so often that Christians don't see that as a as a as a, as an important uh, social role.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? The idea of um kind of mediation and conciliation as a distinctively Christian virtue is, is is really it's fizzled out, isn't it? In it was a huge part of Christian history, but it's really fizzled out in particularly in evangelicalism. You don't really hear preaching and teaching on the idea of like peacemaking.
0: Um, no you don't even though it's in the Sermon of the Mount isn't it? Uh, but, uh, Sermon of the Mount that um, blessed are the peacemakers and I I think certainly I can remember John Stott and, and people of that generation arguing you know when he uh, because it's interesting I remember him preaching sermons at the time of the labour unrest and, uh, and it was certainly a line that he, he was Often used to say that Christians ought to be at the forefront of activities for reconciliation, for dialogue, for understanding for listening you know it was, these were very much themes that he he uh, argued for constantly and i I think part of the it's part of the polarization isn't it of our current society that we are in this very um tribal and and hostile and uh you know we easily go just to shout and scream and and argue against each other
1: yeah i agree with that i think my hesitation in in agreeing further is that you know when i look at junior doctors as a group of people that then they're, they're not the kind of um angry young men and women that you're talking about, they're they're not people who are quick to 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 hurl invective and to accuse others. Um, they they seem to me, and I've got friends who who are junior doctors, several friends who are junior doctors uh, who've kind of come of age as doctors during this kind of era of austerity over the last ten years, and are working in an NHS that's under pressure like almost never before. That they are like on the on the main kind of like small C conservative. Kind of ordinary, mostly middle class kind of law obeying people and and there's only so far you can go in in making allowances and seeking reconciliation if the if the other party in the dispute is not interested in negotiation is not interested in finding a compromise and so i I really do feel quite strongly that there is potentially maybe a generational shift here that that I think my generation feels more exasperated and frustrated by political paralysis and frankly the growing inequality between rich and poor that increasingly correlates between old and young and i think there is a sense in which even ordinary kind of non-shouty uh kind of people are so desperate now that they are seriously considering think something unheard of you know going on strike which is just not part of a kind of cultural landscape of people of my kind of
0: class and background is it, it uh, yeah absolutely yeah. I, I think just the other thing i would want to say is that if you stand back a bit and say so why is it that these publicly funded services and in particular the nhs is so under as such uh, financial distress and the reason is because of a total political failure uh in finding creative ways of solving the financial need. Mm. And it's pretty obvious in most countries across the world, people, although the majority of the costs of healthcare is met by the state, people make a contribution and that contribution is means tested. And I think politically, most people, at least in theory, would be prepared to make a contribution to the care they receive in the NHS. And the idea that it was means tested would be entirely reasonable and appropriate. And most people would see why it should be means tested. Um, But I think that uh, this shibboleth that the NHS has to be free at the point of need, there is simply, there is no mechanism by which anybody can make a contribution for their care. um, And that this is completely inappropriate. Once you've taken that, and I just see that as a, there's a huge failure of, of political creativity, and and one of the things is that the root is of, of the problems the NHS is under.
1: Yeah, I think there's some there's some merit in that. I mean, I would note that as a percentage of GDP, we still spend less as the UK than the kind of OECD average, for example. So, you know, we're we currently are we are basically trying to do universally funded healthcare on the cheap you know and you've seen that in in and the covid pandemic really exposed that in the healthcare care system in in how we we had you know the margins were incredibly narrow and and things were run just in time and all that stuff And the moment there was a crisis there weren't any ward space and there wasn't any capacity to ramp up and all that thing absolutely so there is clearly there is clearly scope even before we start digging into the pockets of patients there is clearly scope in my view for the government to be Thinking in the round about whether they are contributing enough money and whether you know twelve years of pay restraint and 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 capital investment being starved has really left us with it, with an NHS ready and able to, to step up to the challenge.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But the reason that that has happened is because the NHS simply comes out of general taxation and therefore it comes out of income tax and income tax. And taxation is such a politically sensitive subject everybody says yes we want to give more money to the <laughs> nhs do you want to go your income tax to go up by 2p oh absolutely no no way <laughs> so you can't square that circle politicians have been trying to square that circle for yeah. um and and yes it just takes a bit of political creativity people want to give more money to the nhs well this is how you do it you find some way of um anyway it's a anyway. uh, it's a particular perspective i think maybe we should be drawing this <laughs> discussion but just one last it. thing i wanted
1: to touch on about about the kind of the nature of the of the power imbalance um and and you know we talked a bit earlier about how unlike in a private sector in a factory for example um where there is a kind of a power conflict between employer and employee and the employee's way of utilizing that is by walking out and that, that part of the issue with public sector strikes is, of course, is that when they walk out, they don't hurt their bosses. You know, it's not the 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 teachers' CEO or the or the NHS trust CEO who suffers when when doctors walk out. It's um it's the patients. But there's also an, an inverse power imbalance, which is that that in the public sector there's also they're also monopoly employers and if you want to be a junior doctor in the UK you have to accept the contract the terms and conditions that are offered to you by the NHS and ultimately by the government there is no alternative and i think what i feel quite strongly is that yes there is a huge theme throughout the new testament of as you as you point out with slaves you know accept limitations that you're under and and don't fight back in certain context aspects but i don't think jesus calls followers across to be walkovers or to be naive about how power works in in our kind of broken political systems and social systems you can see that and how he interacts with the romans and with the pharisees and the jewish authorities in the temple and i think yes we have to do it with integrity but if we do try and adopt that kind of quietist approach that kind of traditional evangelical view of let's not get our hands messy and let's not whip up a storm let's not be be mouthy or, or kind of be sharp elbowed the reality is we will be we will be crushed but because our employers and those we are in conflict with will not obey those same positions and ultimately the public you're trying to protect will will will, will is the one who will suffer and so i think there is a call to be kind of wise as serpents and involve and that might in my view might sometimes involve using kind of awkward weapons like the power of strikes to, to otherwise you will be simply crushed by, by, by those in power who have none of your scruples.
0: Yeah, uh, and I, th- I, mean, I absolutely see that, and, and in many ways I agree with it. I mean, one of the slightly depressing things I've seen over the years is that people, Christians, who are sort of just naturally right-wing in their politics uh, tend to find all kinds of theological reasons to support their... natural tendencies towards the right wing and and similarly those who are just naturally left-wing and radical uh find all kinds of theological reasons to support them and one gets a strong impression impression that it's not the biblical theology that's leading it it's actually people's deep sort of tendencies it is said there is some evidence that you can even work out someone's political tendencies by using functional mri imaging that you can see uh The way that different people's brains respond to different people's um, uh, to to particular questions and and stimuli and so on actually reflects their political tendencies. So these things are very deep, aren't they? They're hardwired into our Mm. into our personas. And I think the challenge for us as Christians is to try to put the Christian perspectives and the Christian thinking uh, before our inbuilt. Tendencies, uh, whether they're to right or left.
1: Yeah, very wise. I think that's very wise. It's very easy, isn't it, to kind of basically baptize your own ex- pre-existing convictions in kind of Christianese and jargon, and cherry pick some proof texts, and thinking yourself you've done a good job doing some Christian ethics, and that's not really how it works, unfortunately.
0: It's not how it works, and the whole <laughs> the whole sort of vision, isn't it, is that our minds and thinking should be progressively transformed. Mm. Conform
1: to Christ ultimately uh, to Christ,
0: yeah. and and we and and the, in that way we live out uh, the gospel in in the place in which he's put us. Yes, well, that's our prayer, isn't it, for all those doctors
1: and teachers and train drivers and paramedics on the front line, nurses thinking about striking, uh, that they would seek the the mind of Christ as they try and decide what to do in these difficult circumstances. Course, for us lowly self employed freelance journalists, there's no one to strike against, oh, my and no heart, one to negotiate with. My heart bleeds for you, <laughs> so I'll, I'll soldier on as will you and your comfortable retirement. But for the rest of, for the rest of us, <laughs> uh, I hope you're all surviving this cost of living crisis uh, okay. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us on these this pair of episodes about strikes. I hope it's been interesting and thought-provoking. Um, as always, we'd love to hear your own thoughts and, and feedback. Um, you can get in touch with us by emailing molad, M-O-L-A-D, at premier.org.uk. Uh, there's um, lots of other resources on different topics that we've covered in the past on the podcast on uh, John's brand new All Singing or Dancing website uh, newly refreshed with a fresh lick of paint some, and some new material coming soon that's johnwyatt.com and otherwise we'll see you next week for another episode of Matters of Life and Death thanks for listening and bye bye
0: You've been listening to Matters of Life and Death a podcast from Premier Unbelievable